I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Hey Lurkers, welcome to episode 53. Today we're going to be looking into the mysteries related to the ship, the Carol A. Deering, which is classified as a ghost ship that was found wrecked on the Diamond Shoals off the coast of North Carolina in the United States, which is located on the East Coast, for those who are not familiar. We do have quite a few people who listen from other countries, who may not know exactly where North Carolina is located. The Carol A. Deering is one of the most written about maritime mysteries in history. We'll get to all that in a couple of minutes. First, a little background. The Carol A. Deering was built in Bath, Maine by the G.G. Deering Company. Construction began in 1918 and the ship was launched April 4, 1919. She was 255 feet long and weighed 1,879 tons. That's about 3,758,000 pounds. She was a five-masted schooner and one of the last large commercial sailing vessels and named for the owner's son. The Carol A. Deering arrived in Newport News, Virginia on July 19, 1920 from Guyanilla, for the purpose of taking on a cargo. Guyanilla is in Puerto Rico. I hope I'm saying Guyanilla right. I'm probably not. Spanish class was a long time ago in 7th and 8th grade. One month later, on August 19, 1920, the following crew members signed shipping articles with Captain William Merritt of the Five Master for a trip to Rio de Janeiro. S.E. Merritt, mate, who was also the captain's son, John Fredrickson, the boatswain, J.A. Benjamin, the steward, Herbert P. Bates, the engineer, N.P. Nielsen, Niels Olson, S. Chris Peterson, Peter Sarenson, Alfred Jorgensen, and H.C. Jensen. The crew was Scandinavian, predominantly Danes. William H. Merritt, the captain, was a World War I hero and received citations for bravery under fire for saving his entire crew when the ship he was in command of at the time, the Dorothy B. Barrett, also built by the Deering Company, was sunk off of Cape May, New Jersey by a German U-boat. A few days prior to sailing, Captain Merritt complained of illness and stated that he did not like the crew and did not want to sail with them. He grew more ill and ended up disembarking in Lewes, Delaware. Delaware is not on the way to Rio de Janeiro from Virginia and was either a scheduled stop or was a detour because of the captain's illness. I've seen information stating both. First mate S.E. Merritt, the captain's son, also left the ship with his father. Captain Willis B. Wormel, a 66-year-old veteran sea captain from Boston, Massachusetts, 
who was ready to retire, was reluctantly signed on as the new captain, and a man by the name of Charles McClellan signed on as the first mate. On December 2, 1920, the Carol A. Deering left Rio de Janeiro and stopped for supplies and cable advice in Barbados. Here the ship was told to continue on to Newport News, Virginia. While in Barbados, it was noticed that Captain Wormel appeared ill, and this was commented on. The first mate of the Deering, McClellan, got drunk and complained to Captain Hugh Norton of the snow that he could not discipline the crew without Captain Wormel interfering and that he had to do the navigating because of Wormel's poor eyesight. There was a little information that insinuated that McClellan was nearly abusive in his discipline and that it was having an effect on the morale of the crew and Wormel had no choice but to step in. Later, Captain Norton and his first mate heard McClellan say, I'll get the captain before we get to Norfolk. Hearsay information indicated that Captain Wormel complained of trouble with his crew. McClellan was arrested for public drunkenness, and Wormel bailed him out. The Carol A. Deering left Barbados on January 6, 1921, according to Mr. Sippy, the first mate of the Augusta W. Snow, which had been in Barbados at the same time. 4.30 p.m., January 29th, the Deering hailed light vessel number 80, which was stationed off the Cape Lookout Shoals, located off the coast of North Carolina, south of the Outer Banks. The Deering asked that a message be forwarded to her owners, to the effect that the Deering had lost both her anchors and chains in the gale of yesterday and the day before, off Frying Pan Shoals. Frying Pan Shoals would be about 20 miles from Cape Lookout Shoals, if my measuring is accurate. And by measuring, I mean I held a ruler up to the computer screen and used the legend of the miles. And Anyway, it's 30 centimeters away from each other, which equates about 20 miles. The master of the lookout lightship was unable to forward the message as the wireless was out of commission. And no, there was no Wi-Fi. They're talking about wireless telegraphs that used radio waves. The lightship's master stated that the man on the schooner who had hailed them did not appear to be an officer. He also stated that there was evidence of confusion aboard, with the crew being scattered about the deck of the schooner, showing lack of discipline. Furthermore, the lightship master said that the crew aboard appeared to be a little brownish colored men and definitely not the rugged Scandinavians that had formed the original crew. As the Deering passed out of sight going north, a steamer appeared on the horizon coming southward. The lightship master hailed the steamer, which was carrying a wireless antenna with flags of international code that meant have important message. The master planned to notify the steamer that the schooner had lost her anchors and chains. But the steamer did not stop, even when the lightship skipper blew his number 12 whistle, which could be heard for five miles. Refusing to stop when signaled this way is contrary to the unwritten law of the high seas. 
Adding even more mystery was the report from the lightship that not only did the steamer fail to stand by for the message, but that she changed her course and headed eastward at full speed, while members of her crew lowered canvas over the nameplate on the stern. Basically, that means they were hiding the name of the ship. On January 31, 1921, the Carol A. Deering was sighted at dawn by surfman C.P. Brady, who was on lookout duty at the Coast Guard station at Cape Hatteras. A surfman is a member of the Coast Guard, skilled in operating a boat in heavy surf. The Deering was hard aground, with all sails set on the outer edge of the Diamond Shoals. The Diamond Shoals is an area that extends offshore from Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and has been notorious as a common site for shipwrecks for centuries, and earned it the title Graveyard of the Atlantic. Bad weather prevented rescue ships from approaching the Deering. Finally, on February 4th, she was able to be boarded after being battered by the surf for several days, and it was clear the schooner was abandoned. Wreckers noted the following when they boarded the foundered ship. All sails were set and in excellent condition, excepting the two topsails that had been torn by the wind. The Deering was grounded in about eight feet of water, but had settled down about 14 feet into the sand. Her deck rigging and other gear had been strewn about the sea that had broken over her. Basically, that means there were waves that were coming over top of the deck. The boat that had been on the stern was gone, and both davits and falls had been worked loose by the sea. The dory was missing. It's another small boat. Both anchors were missing, which we already knew about. The wheel rudder head, rudder gear, and rudder house had been smashed and thrown up against the after part of the cabin. It was impossible to say whether the steering gear had been wrecked prior to or subsequent to the time the schooner struck the shoals. When boarded by the rescue tug, named Rescue, the lights that were set were the conventional red and green running lights and two red lights in the rigging, which indicates the vessel was not under control. The ship's log and navigation equipment were gone, along with the crew's personal effects. There was a meal in the middle of being prepared in the galley. The only sign of life was the ship's gray, six-toed cat, found in good condition and rescued. It's said that the cat left a line of six-toed cats on the outer banks, including one that lives around the ferry docks of Hatteras. One newspaper said, The cat may have known the answer to the riddle, but cats don't talk. The Coast Guard made attempts to salvage the ship, but it proved to be impossible. The Carol A. Deering was deemed to be a hazard to navigation and was scheduled to be blown up on March 4th. I'm not certain that it was actually dynamited. There was a newspaper report that stated a sudden storm blew in when they went to blow it up, and within the short span of a few hours, a howling northeastern gale, or nor'easter, was piling the sea up high on the beach at Hatteras. Tremendous waves hit and stranded the ghost ship, and she groaned and whined under the terrific beating of the sea. Soon her timbers began to loosen, and she went to pieces rapidly. 
It was written that when the Carol A. Deering began to go down, the beach birds, hundreds of them that had built nests on the mysterious wreck, set up a mighty noise. They circled and recircled the disintegrating vessel, screeching and crying. Some said they were the cries of the departed spirits hovering over the schooner's remains. A portion of the ship's bow washed ashore on Ocracoke Island. Wooden timbers washed ashore on Hatteras, and they were used to build local houses. On March 21st, the stern beached 12 miles from the Cape. The wreckage consisted of the poop deck, counter portside deck house, and after house. Hundreds of seagulls used it as a roost, and their shrill cries could be heard through the night. There was talk that the spirits of the crew were walking the boards and crying out in the night. In continuing with the oddities associated with the Carol A. Deering, on April 11, 1921, a local fisherman named Christopher Columbus Frey claimed to have found a message in a bottle in Buxton, North Carolina. The message read, Deering captured by oil-burning boat, something like chaser. Taking off everything. Handcuffing crew. Crew hiding all over ship. No chance to escape. Finder, please notify headquarters Deering. The message was said to be written or scribbled on a linen thread company order blank. From what I can determine, it was a place that made fishing nets and such. The note was deemed a hoax. So there's definitely a lot of weird things happening here with this case. If the crew was indeed aboard the vessel when it grounded, why didn't they send up a distress signal? A signal would have been seen by any one of the lookouts in several Coast Guard stations on nearby Outer Banks or possibly the crew of the Diamond Lightship. Captain Wormel's daughter got involved in the ensuing investigations. The U.S. government launched an extensive investigation into the disappearance of the crew on the Deering. Five departments of the government, Commerce, Treasury, Justice, Navy, and State, looked into the case. The captain's daughter, Lula Wormel, apparently was part of the force behind the government's jump to investigate. Her theory was modern piracy. She was persistent in her belief that pirates boarded the craft, ransacked it, and ruthlessly did away with the entire crew, then deliberately ran her aground. Miss Wormel was shown the chart, and she recognized her father's handwriting up to January 23rd, the day the vessel passed the Cape Fear lightship. Even with headwinds, which are winds blowing into the bow of the boat, it should not have taken January 23rd to January 31st for it to reach Diamond Shoals. No evidence was found of piracy. In fact, evidence was found that disproved that theory. The Deering carried no cargo or valuables, and it was unreasonable to believe pirates would risk themselves for just personal items of the crew. With the exception of the disorder on deck, everything aboard was shipshape. Bunks were made up and a cooked meal on the table of the galley ready to be served. Another theory made the case for a mass suicide at sea due to the possibility that the crew contracted some dreaded tropical disease. But that is unlikely because all the master's personal belongings, a great ship's clock, the vessel's log, 
and open boats were missing. According to the newspapers, another highly imaginative theory was that the captain was murdered, but that theory was disproved because Captain Wormel was a sociable man. I don't know, I think a lot of sociable people are murdered. Murderers don't usually refrain from killing people because they're sociable. Oh, wait, says here you're a nice sociable person, so I'll have to skip stabbing you with this knife. I don't really think that that's how it works. There was another theory that the crew abandoned the schooner and were picked up by the sulfur-laden steamer Hewitt, which had been comparatively near the Deering when she foundered. It seems plausible because the Hewitt, bound for New York, never reached port. A few days after the Deering disaster, a flash of fire and huge billows of smoke were sighted far off the New Jersey coast. Since the Hewitt failed to reach port, it was assumed that she had exploded. The Coast Guard report about the Deering stated, The consensus of opinion of all persons familiar with the case was that the Carol A. Deering had not been boarded by pirates, but that the crew was lost in heavy seas after abandoning the schooner, either prior to or after she grounded on the shoals, and that the two small boats, as well as the bodies of the men, were carried out to sea. The general opinion was that no pirates would have boarded a sailing vessel without a cargo, and the fact that the ship's stores and supplies were left behind untouched further strengthens this belief. Officials admitted that they were investigating the cases of four different ships, but they refused to disclose the names of the three missing craft. One was thought to be the steel steamship Hewitt of Portland, Maine. Just one year before, the disappearance of the Norwegian steamship Fiorine off Cape Hatteras was never explained. She was due in Hampton Roads, Virginia, from Norway in January 1920, but has never been heard from. According to a news article from June 21, 1921, there, was, there were several vessels missing off the coast of Virginia since January of 1921, but as far as it was known, as of June 1921, pirates were suspected of seizing only three of the seven. As far as the message in the bottle, Captain Wormel's daughter, Lula Wormel, had the note analyzed, and it was determined to have been written by H. Bates, the engineer. The paper was analyzed and determined not to be American-made, and at that time, Secretary Hoover was asked to investigate. Then there was the suggestion that the Russians were behind the whole thing. A woman in Texas suggested that the Bolsheviki, who were reportedly stirring up trouble in Mexico, might have captured the Deering and the Hewitt. Apparently, crews were known to be planted with Bolsheviki sympathizers, and they seized vessels and ran with them to Soviet ports. But the Deering was really too cumbersome and slow, and not a likely target. One article stated, The theory that pirates of the Captain Kidd variety are operating in the Atlantic sea lanes, or that a super submarine with a hidden base is still laboring under the delusion that the war is still on, is so fantastic, however, that officials, for the most part, refuse to consider it seriously. By September 1921, there were 20 ships missing, without any wreckage found. 
Then there were the unconventional theories about what happened. One paper said, We are forced to believe that the seas hold, in their dark, unfathomed depths, dangers for ships and the men who sail them, of which we have never dreamed. Basically, the possibility of giant octopus or devilfish or sea serpent. It was actually in a newspaper. There was one interesting article that spent a great deal of time on the, on the theory of a sea serpent. It said the existence of a sea serpent is nowadays considered only a fit theme for humorists of the comic pages. And yet there are men and women living who can remember when this country was greatly excited by the reports of thoroughly credible witnesses that such a monster had been seen off the Atlantic coast. Quoting the paper, There seemed to be no doubt reasonable or plausible of the existence of a sea serpent of some 80 to 100 feet in length and of the size of a large barrel or cask. Indeed, so great was the sensation created by the movements of the monster, so repeatedly seen for successive years by so many witnesses, and described by them with such detail and general occurrence, that the, Lin the Linnean Society of Boston appointed a committee of eminent scientific gentlemen to collect evidence on the subject, and they drew up a report giving in detail the depositions of numerous witnesses who saw the creature on shore or at sea. According to these witnesses, the monster was from 80 to 90 feet long. His head usually carried two feet above the water and of a dark brown color. The body, with 30 or more protuberances, compared by some to four-gallon kegs, by others to a string of buoys, and called by several persons bunches on the back. Its motion very rapid, faster than that of a whale swimming swimming a mile in three minutes, and sometimes more, leaving a wake behind him, chasing mackerel and herring and other fish, which were seen jumping out of the water fifty at a time as he approached. He only came to the surface of the sea in calm and bright weather. A skillful gunner fired at him from a boat, and having taken, and having taken good aim, felt sure he must have hit him on the head. The creature turned toward him, then dived under the boat, and immediately reappeared on the other side of a distance of about a hundred yards. I'm fairly certain that this is describing the Gloucester Sea Serpent of Massachusetts, though the article never mentioned it by name. We will definitely be covering that cryptid in the near future. There was a U.S. naval vessel that disappeared in 1918, in 1918 mysteriously as well, and it is often brought up in reference to the Carol A. Deering. In one National Marine magazine, there was an article that claimed the Cyclops, the U.S. naval vessel, was attacked and sunk by a swarm of gigantic squid. Another article said, Is it not quite possible that the sea may harbor other monsters of which we have no knowledge? Monsters large and strong enough to wreck a great steamer or sailing vessel? I'm all for monster squid, the kraken, as you know from episode 43, the story of the Mary Celeste, and sea serpents in general. But sea serpents weren't the only odd theory. Many people thought the Bermuda Triangle was to blame. 
Known for the number of ships and planes that have disappeared in its midst, the Bermuda Triangle was thought to be behind the disappearance of the Deering, because she had sailed through it. But the Deering did not disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. And as far as I know, passing through it doesn't mean you might disappear sometime later when you're not in it. Though that's an interesting thought. And we also have the theory that the Carol A. Deering was a victim of alien abduction. I don't even want to imagine an alien craft large enough to suck up a five-masted schooner of the weight and size of the Deering. And because of the sheer size and weight of the ship, I don't really buy into the alien theory. Honestly, I'm not really certain what theory I buy the most. I guess the idea that the crew, or a couple members of the crew, mutinied and killed the captain, an abandoned ship, seems plausible. But it doesn't explain why the crew, seen by the lightship master, were dark-complected when they were all Scandinavian descent. Pirate seems a possibility, except there was no cargo to steal, and the ship itself was large and slow and not worth taking. This one is definitely a mystery. And in keeping with the paranormal theme and the ghost ship theme, it's said that the specter of the Carol A. Deering is actually seen off the shore of North Carolina. Do you have a theory about what went on? Let me know. Send me an email at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com or send a message through one of our social media accounts. You can find Lurk on your favorite podcast listening app or at lurkpodcast.com where you can find all the episodes as well as links to social media. We have some new merch designs in our online shop at lurkpodcastmerch.com. I even think there's a new mug available there now. Don't forget, June 18th, we'll be vending at the ECBRO Bigfoot Conference in Staunton, Virginia. If you're in the area, stop by and say hello. And until next time, keep lurking.